everybody hello friends of the riders podcast we're back and on time this week so we got a couple of people worried we weren't putting on a show last week oh i'm, I'm sorry it was Squeezer what happened? happened you had no voice <clears throat> we i did lose and it's still um it's a good thing we're doing this today we got pushed to we, the brink of that yeah you made that was it. close uh, we we probably shouldn't even say who knows when this comes out, you know, because who knows how long I'll make it. There. I'm gonna do my damnedest. Yeah, uh, I was fine up until like I put the microphone in front of me, and all of a sudden it just starts to go away. Um, that's how it always works, doesn't it? Yeah. So if you hear me hacking and groveling, and uh, no, groveling's not the right word. I don't think groveling's the word. No. Um, well, no, I do grovel for your acceptance. You always have my acceptance. Uh, I meant theirs. Oh, well. Oh, okay, that makes it less fun. No, I know I got yours, right? We're, oh, yeah, you always do. If, we're, if, uh, I'll, I'll grovel if I need to. We're, reco- we're recording Tuesday night. That means we're 10 days away from Avengers Endgame. I took a look at the spoilers and i couldn't help myself you couldn't help yourself i as soon as you said it too i'm like what was i was thinking what first i asked did they report on what it was and then i meant to say what is it because i'm i knew you couldn't help yourself like a like a six-year-old yeah i didn't know um most of it was stuff i assumed was happening anyway <laughs> um i've read these books my whole life i'm no stranger to this storytelling mm-hmm. Uh, I'm still super excited. I mean, five, six minutes of a movie doesn't spoil three hours. No. No. For me. And it was all like random stuff, like cut together, out of sequence. and. Yeah, but it told some some stuff. There was some pretty okay. big reveals. Okay. You uh, like going I, I like in. To be surprised. You, you like to be surprised. I'm not, you know. That, that's why I that's why I still get all excited every year for a Royal Rumble. You know, you, you never know when Goldust is going to come out, you know? Oh, I got that uh, WWE Mattel Retro Goldust figure the other day. Um, you were so happy. Yeah, it's such a cool figure. I also got the Macho Man in the style of that JCPenney <laughs> giveaway one that never came out. That only that bastard Zack Ryder has. Um, but Mattel's doing doing the work of a god by putting out these um it's a man named bill with mattel designs he's putting out these wwe retro figures giving me a reason to live well a reason to collect action figures again uh but i know now with the ghostbusters movie coming out soon i'm gonna remember the last one that came out yeah i was like searching Um, toy stores waiting for the stuff to come out i was searching uh grocery stores and targets for the junk food to come out i took our friend dick bag uh all the way to a uh, that is his real name folks <laughs> yeah that's his that's how he's referred to at work as dick bag <laughs> or db for short 
I took our friend Dick Bag all the way to, I believe, um, a ShopRite, uh, all the way out almost to New Jersey to find Ecto Cooler. I found it, and I bought so much, I think he was embarrassed to be there with me. Well, that that's a good use of his skills and abilities. And I am not uh, making... Yeah, you're not, not being facetious. That's I'm 100%. Facetious. That's, yes. Perhaps I, condescending. Yeah, I, I got it for you, too. I bought, I bought you yeah. some. And it was delicious. Yeah, so I'm hoping... I don't know if we'll see uh, Ecto Cooler again. I think maybe they uh, prematurely, you know, pulled it from the shelves instead of just waiting for the next movie to come out. But I would like to see, like, maybe a different iteration of it. And we could talk more about this. We got a ghost, another Ghostbusters episode coming up. Could they? The- could they? If they sell Ecto Cooler, could they sell it in the Slimer package? If it was sold at like, <clears throat> well, in the state of Pennsylvania, a beer distributor, and you have to show ID that you're over 21 to buy Ecto Cooler with a little cartoon ghost in the box, I'd be okay with that. I was thinking like Coke. Uh, you know, Coke is a, is a, a partner with Monster Energy. Yeah. Um, I don't like where you're going with this. Okay, well, Coke pissed off Monster Energy uh, earlier in the year by announcing they're releasing a Coca-Cola Energy, mm-hmm. uh, a, a zero and a regular. And they're like, what the fuck? I thought we were your energy drink partner. And they're like, yeah, we're also putting out our own shit, you know? Diversifying. Mm-hmm. So an ecto-cooler energy drink and a sugar-free and a sugared version so I could drink it. That, you know, that's if they do that, as long as I still get you know my original high C... You can keep that flavor profile in an energy drink easily. I have coffee. I don't. I don't need more chemicals to keep me all wound up. We're not talking Just about you. I'm caffeine being and sugar. I'm talking about me. Well, start drinking coffee like a man. Because then I think you could put Slimer on it. Oh, yeah. will it come in a little juice box? No, it'd be a can. But mm. yeah. Mm. You need 16 ounces or more. It's the juice box. Thing. Well, make me a 16-ounce oh, juice box. It could come in one of those giant cans you have it, to fucking pop holes in the top. Give me, give me a cereal box that I could put a straw on the top. No, no. It comes in one of those giant cans you have to pop open. That's how we used to drink our ecto-cooler. Oh, like the, the tins. I was going to say, yeah, bring back the tin. And the big cans that you have to take yeah, that can how, open. How would you? You have to take the other side of the. Does opener like the, that anymore? Uh, I think we do. It's like we have a, one side's a bottle opener, and the other side has like a pointy thing that this can you put in a big one, and you put in a small one on the other side. Oh, you need to air vent it, yeah. Yeah, you air vent it. Hmm. If they just sold those, you know how many people would be returning them because they say they can't open it? <laughs> I know. There's no open. Yeah, they'd have to put some sort of uh, plastic, non biodegradable open tab on it so that people could get it open. Or they take their can opener and like actually open it like a can of tuna, so it's just as like open like. Vat. I would do that, yeah, and then you just you just sip from it. Oh yeah. That's your ecto cooler for the night. But I got one of those safety cutter ones. I get a nice clean lid. <laughs> I would just walk around with the. Yeah. Just... What size was that? Because as a kid, it felt like a gallon, but it wasn't. It I think was finally it... like what thirty two ounces. Uh, giant juicy. Like can. the high C or uh, the. Juicy juice can. Yeah, it was a high C, juicy juice. Um, not the concentrate. It was uh, it was juicy, no. juicy uh-huh. juice. I always remember high C. I remember. Um, 
I think those are the only two. There's definitely more, but I feel like I think all juice. Hawaiian punch. Hawaiian punch, hell yeah. Giant juice can. I didn't like Hawaiian a... punch as a kid because Neither did I, I didn't know how to drink from a glass properly. So I would always get that big red lip thing going on because it stains so easily. Yeah. Otherwise, it was delicious. I just kind of resented it for making me look um, unsophisticated as a 14-year-old. The 1990s? I can't find this answer. No one... Uh... I think they still sell them in those, no? Hmm. I don't know. I, I, I don't know if I'm searching it right. You said tins. I, it's yeah. Not... Well, it was like a you know steel. We always said it was like tin. Yeah, we called everything. <clears> but tin I don't think back you can then. store liquids in like a tin without right, it leaching okay. chemical right, without it, it is, leaching the metals. Forty six fluid ounces. I found it. Oh, okay. Uh, well, it's like a big gulp now. It's nothing. Yeah. Right. Uh, we can do that and I'll be happy with a. Oh, you know what else? You know where else they can put ecto cooler? Cars have cars I, have cup right, holders now that are big enough to fit a can of juicy juice in it. Yes, but Squeezer, I just came up with the perfect idea of where high C ecto cooler should be for this iteration. Oh, okay. In those Coke uh, mix machines. Sold. Yeah, that's exactly where ecto cooler belongs. Then they could put Slimer on it all the fuck they want because it's just a fucking screen. Mm-hmm. Those Coke. Uh, what the fuck are they called? Coke mix machines. <laughs> I don't fucking. I'd be in there with like tr- with a big leaf trash bag, just holding underneath, filling it up with the. Then I gotta pull a oh giant freestyle slogging, the Coke uh, freestyle Coca Cola freestyle. Uh-huh. That's like where water balloon of of ecto cooler out the door. Yes. Then uh, you can mix like your own flavors of ecto cooler. So they got the ecto cooler. You got the sugar free ecto cooler because those things always have both. And then you can mix in like peach uh, or vanilla or sugar free ecto cooler. Yeah, but then it's not ecto cooler. Yeah, but you gotta ecto cooler has a very distinct taste profile. Yeah, but I appreciate what you're saying, but then it's not ecto cooler. Okay, so we're all gonna die of diabetes. Ghostbusters movie and replacing them all with women. You gotta, you gotta work with us, Squeezer. It's 2019. Uh huh. Yeah, not 2016. <laughs> so I would, I think, regardless of Squeezer's uh, hate, hatred of sugar-free, I think, um, <coughs> I think it's uh, not my my hatred. I just, I don't know how you make ecto. I mean, it's 99% the ingredient. It's, it's actually very viscous. It's, I think it's more sugar than water. Yeah, but you can make it. You take that flavor. That flavor is just all it is, and you that color. Mm-hmm. It's it's about the flavor and the color, and you just re- replace. You know, they do it with everything. You call it the fucking ecto cooler zero. Yeah, and did we figure out what natural flavors are and how they actually even work? Don't care. I like don't how care. How does if... something taste like something but not be anything? I don't care if it comes out of a beaver's <laughs> asshole like a vanilla does. Uh, if it tastes good, if it's ecto cooler, I'm down for it. Uh, anyway, we're, 
We're getting off on a, on a tangent that can be saved for our Ghostbusters episode that we have planned for a couple of weeks from now. Okay, just save this and cut it in. <laughs> no one will know the difference. That's true. That's true. Um, okay, so we're talking. Uh, <laughs> our first eighties show, we talked eighties uh, toys, our favorite eighties toys. The yes. next show, eighties trends. Today we are talking eighties music, and I'm so excited. Because we got some good things, and it's not just songs. We didn't we didn't pick ten songs. We we're talking anything that encompasses the music genre, like uh, music, hardware, uh, albums, uh, genres, uh, artists, anything you could think of. Mm-hmm. And I believe it's your turn to go first this week. So here you go, Squeeze. Here's your first pick. Ah, yeah. So, originally, I was working on this whole thing about one-hit wonders and how the 80s, it really kind of blew up. Uh-huh. Um, because of the corporatization and the way they were marketed now, how a lot of it was image-based and video-based, and just there were a lot of variables that made that happen. And as I'm working on this, about three hours later, I'm still reading up on Dexy's Midnight Runners and Come on Eileen, and I had nothing else to talk about. So I just settled on, I'll just talk about Come on Eileen and Dexy's Midnight Runners. You let that clip end quick. Well, <laughs> yeah, I didn't want to send you like an hour-long thing. Oh, yeah. Uh, tracks one, uh, three, and... For uh, pot down towards the end. Okay. Show note. Show note. Good. Good note. Awesome. Good. Good. Note. Good. Good. We couldn't really have much of a pre-production meeting because I don't know how much longer my voice will last. Um, I'm like Ariel, but um, without. La 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 la. la. Wow, I was not expecting that from you. I've seen the movie. I know it's a good movie. I I haven't seen it since I was a wee lad, but. It sticks with you. I'm reliving it all now. I'll tell you what. They hold up. Uh, I can't wait to... Uh, going back to uh, trends, I can't wait to scare the piss out of her with American Tale. It's almost like my revenge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When uh, they walk past... When they're on the road, someone... Uh, every, uh, when I posted on Instagram, everyone was saying how heartbroken they were. Mm-hmm. And... um the scenes that broke their heart and I won something when they, when they're walking past each other in the street and they miss each other and they're like, what the hell? Mm-hmm. It's a great scene. That was like your first experience as like a kid, but like with horror movies, like, Oh, don't go in there. It's like that, that omnipresent point of view that you have right. and you yeah. don't know how to deal with it. Right. Yeah. That's um, very true. <clears throat> Oh, so in uh, so eighty two in uh, the UK, uh, uh, 
our good friends uh, in Dexy's Midnight Runners, uh, led by uh, what was his name? Uh, Kevin Rowland, who I, I will say he's kind of like Dexy's Midnight Runners because there were a couple members in the band. Um, if I could, where's my list here? One, two, three, four, five, six. Seven. That's not even all of them. Um, there is a certain amount of turnover uh, in this band. Oh, I'm on the wrong tab. Here, here's my list. I will run down. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty, twenty-one, twenty-two, twenty-three. Do the math. Twenty-three times three is 75 minus 3, which is 72 minus, hang on, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7. What's 72 minus 7? 65. Trust me, folks. I show my work. Uh, <clears throat> okay, good. I did that. How many members do you think were in Dexy's Midnight Runners over the course of years? <sighs> Counting up until today? Uh, yeah, because they're currently active. Okay. Somewhat. Uh, 47. Close. A little higher. 63. Ooh, so close. 65. Ooh. 65, yeah. Uh, 65 uh, members at some point went came through this band, um, which is insane for a band that had, um, well, like I said, I was doing my research on One Hit Wonders. One hit in the United States, which uh, for the week of... Uh, April 23rd, 1983, it was number one. Which, do you know who uh, broke up a uh, back-to-back... Uh, well, this is an easy one. Would have had back-to-back uh, hits in uh, July of 83, or uh, April of 83, but Dexy's Midnight Runner slipped in there for a bit? Michael Jackson. Yeah, Michael Jackson. So it was between Billie Jean and Beat It. Um, come and Eileen slipped in there for a week. Uh, to knock him down a peg, just to show him who's boss, you know, those Brits. Now, there's someone out there, because this goes potentially worldwide, except for probably uh, China and any other country that doesn't believe in the Internet. Um, although, if you are in China, thank you for making all of our toys. Much appreciated. Yeah. Um, where was I going? Oh, uh, Gino was a Dexy's Midnight Runner song that was hit number one in the UK back in 1980. So technically you could say they're not one-hit wonders, but that was only in the UK and didn't even chart in the US. And since it's the UK and your navy is still made of wood and has sails, you don't count. I'm sorry. The Beatles came here. Okay, they didn't go there. They were already there, which is great. But they came here. What does that tell you? I, I don't know. What does it I mean? don't know either. I'm just uh, proving a point. I, the, I always think of this song. Uh, we had uh, Muzak tapes when I worked at KB Toy Store that basically ran all day. Mm-hmm. And on the one of them had this song. And it, um, like, it just every time I hear this song, it makes me think of working at KB, which isn't the worst thing in the world. That's a pretty good memory. For some, yeah, that's nice. For some reason, even though it was such a big hit throughout the 80s, and I mean, I heard a song. I mean, this song came out a year before I was even born. Um, but that, you know, so therefore it exists throughout your childhood. So you heard it all the time. 
but it wasn't until like whenever I hear it now, I just think of Tommy Boy. Because it was in the soundtrack to Tommy Boy. What where in Tommy Boy was this? Uh, it they're singing along, in the the car sing along. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, uh, and then it ends with them singing, crying, uh, singing the Carpenters. Oh, right, 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 yeah. right, 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 right. Um, but it was ranked, I think, MVH1. It was 18th, um, greatest song of the 80s. Uh, I don't know. I disagree. My dad. It's a catchy song. My dad. Uh, when we are, you know, post-college, I, I will spend, when I say we, as in my brother and sister were part of this. Lisa was, my sister Lisa was, but it was mainly me. I was like, uh, and I still like to do it. I was in the habit of trying to embarrass my dad as much as I could. Sure. Uh, so he was dating this, um, woman named Eileen. And when he came home and was telling us about it, this was, well, I was probably like, I don't know, like 23 or 24. We, like he came home, uh, I don't know, one morning after spending the night at our house and my sister and I were like waiting up for him. We started playing this song, Come on, Eileen. Uh-huh. The bats contact. That's... He's like, oh, you guys are, are absolutely disgusting. <laughs> but I mean, that's what any five-year-old man with that, well... Uh, any man with a five-year-old brain, which we all have, thinks of when mm-hmm. they're here. Oh, yeah. Because instead of, come on, Eileen, you're thinking of, come on, Eileen. <laughs> oh, I, you just, I didn't. Because I'm a sweet, innocent boy. You are a sweet, innocent boy. And you boy. just ruined it for me. Sorry. Um, although, the video is a little disturbing when you think about it. Because all you think about is <clears throat> um, them in the overalls, right? Yeah. And that that's the extent of it. But really, the entire length of the video, the, and Eileen is like an amalgamation of a number of women who he, uh, you know, wouldn't want to do court. Um, but basically, just harassing her the entire video, and quite awkwardly and uncomfortably, it's really kind of creepy. I'm not gonna lie. And then the whole at one point, I, I completely forgot about it. The scene where they're actually walking down the street, like snapping their fingers, it's it's like it's the Jets and the Sharks from Kentucky. <laughs> uh, I completely forgot about that. I went back and rewatched the whole thing. I watched a lot of videos for this one. Watched a lot of movies for this one. Um, but yeah, I I, I I forgot how much, how many times you hear this song, and that it's kind of like. Uh, there's going to be people that absolutely hate it. There's going to be people that love it. There's people that are indifferent to it. Um, but you can't, like... And and even 18, and for those that, you know, love it, I, I wouldn't put it even on 18 on my list. I feel like that's a little high. Because I could, I would probably put, like, you know... I probably have, like, every Peter Gabriel song and, you know... All of Delicate Sound of Thunder on there. Also, anything that Michael Jackson, Prince, Guns N' Roses, and Metallica did. And then, and then maybe that can fit in. Oh, Talking Heads too. Uh, and Tears for Fears. So, you know, there's all that. And uh, again, it's personal taste, wherever you want to put it. But you can't deny that it does belong somewhere on that general 80s soundtrack if you had to put it together. Yeah, I would say so. Good pick, Squeeze. Thanks. 
Yeah. Uh, before we move further, uh, I would like to, before I forget, okay. I shouldn't forget because these are good friends of the show, the, give a listen to the Raging Robot Party cast. Uh, their podcast is, uh, the Raging Robot Party cast is up and online on iTunes, and I'm pretty sure probably everywhere you can listen to podcasts. They just posted the third episode. Um, he uh, he gave me a heads up about it tonight. Uh, uh, well, three's not up there, but one and two. So uh, their first one is a pilot, the uh, introductions and discussion about uh, Bucky Cap. I guess that means um, if Bucky takes Cap's mantle. So I can't wait to hear that. And then uh, an overly long uh, Mania review. So I'm assuming we're getting a WrestleMania review. Their description is there are two guys that cover nerdy interests, comics, film, gaming, and beyond, pop culture, history, and discuss life experiences around those items. So fun podcast, friends of the show. Give them a listen. Cool. Uh, and here is my first pick. Get, get the tissues ready, everybody. Training in the dojo, Miyagi, <laughs> love, the glory of love. Here we go. I'm gonna repot it up, Squeezer, just because we have to. Okay. glory of me no love <laughs> what so here's a true story squeezer i don't know if you'll believe it or not but when i was a kid mm -hmm. i actually was more into karate kid part two than i was the first one now i love the first one much more sure well same as we liked back to the future too yeah right right exactly that's exactly right uh, so this is by peter satara of chicago fame a lot of people mistake this song for a chicago song no, 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 no. It was Peter Cetera after he left Chicago and went solo dolo. Um, and it was supposed to be featured at the end of Rocky Four, but it was passed over by United Artists. After that big speech and stuff, I don't, I don't see this working. I think it, it, it ended up perfectly where it belonged. Oh, yeah, it, it belonged in um, Karate Kid Part 2. And... Uh, uh, I cannot absolutely wait for Cobra Kai season two. I think it starts soon, right? I get a date for you. I, 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 I I'm, I'm gonna admit, bad boy. 
I didn't. I haven't seen it yet. Really? Yeah, I haven't. Oh man, I I still pay. I paid for um, season one. I paid for the premiere, the whatever it's called, the YouTube premium, so I could watch season one. And um, I just kept it because I like the YouTube with no commercials. Uh, so season two premiere date. Release date. Uh, it's something that should be April 24th. So, shit. Eight days away. Man. Uh, Enchantress is listening, is listening right now. This is how we are going to uh, spend our time leading up to um, the Avengers Endgame. But yeah, I'm going to uh, spend my time hoping I'm actually going to make it to the theater in time. Yeah, I know. It's going to be a tough, tough break for you. I'm going to make it. Uh, but yeah, so, uh, I, I blew through Cobra Kai season one and it is a good watch. Uh, this is the thing YouTube smart. Like you can't, I can't share my YouTube premium account with you cause it's like my email username and password. Oh, well that's smart. Yeah. Not it's, like all those other accounts where I watch certain things on that. To be fair, I don't use yours that you offered. Um, cause I, I got a type. Well, everybody, uh else uses and when i when anyone else is on my hulu i'm just like use squeezers he doesn't use it oh okay well i'm glad i could help yeah i'm like because you have an account <clears throat> under my hulu but yeah i mean they, they know that well, happens is but. hulu going to be included with the is that going to be all tied into the disney thing because i definitely got to get that no one knows i don't have a choice uh they think hulu uh disney is now the lead chair holder but why have one streaming are you network? talking about Hulu, Fox, our souls, yeah, I don't our know. Our childhood, all of the above. So, "Glory of Love" was written by Peter Cetera, uh, composed, written and composed by Cetera, <laughs> David Foster, and Cetera's then wife Diane Nini. Uh, David Foster's a name you're gonna want to remember because um, he's a name that showed up a lot in my research. Uh, uh, right after Satara left Chicago to pursue a solo career, he came out with this, which happened to be a freaking huge peak number one at the U.S. Billboard Hot 100 chart in August of 1986 and spent five weeks atop the U.S. Adult Contemporary chart. This was when power ballads were a fucking thing, and they should still be. Power ballads are awesome. Um, just don't do them right anymore. Uh, the song earned uh, Academy Award nomination for Best Original Song, and it won a Golden Globe uh, for Best Original Song. It was nominated mm. for a Grammy Award in 87 for Best Pop Vocal by a Male Artist and went on to win the ASCAP Award for Most Performed Song uh, from a Motion Picture and the BMI Film and TV Award for Most Performed Song from a Film. Um, again, of course, he wrote it for Rocky Five, or it's passed over. Uh, the single and the accompanying was video. Was it five or four? I'm sorry, four. You're right, four. Okay. Single and the accompanying video were released in uh, May of 86, while the album Solitude slash Solitaire was released within days of the release of the movie Karate Kid Part 2 a month later. They knew um, what they had with this movie. It was the Karate Kid was huge, and the, the second part was going to be huge, too. Uh, every, uh, again, after it came out, everyone thought it was a Chicago song. And he's like, no, no, it's, it's mine. Uh, he performed it at the 59th Academy Award Ceremony. And, 
I always remember it because uh, my buddy Derek, who you know, mm-hmm. uh, he was an extra on Forensic Files a couple of times, I believe. Uh, yeah, she shot in her apartment. So um, when him and his uh, now wife, but at the time girlfriend, were at the Preakness race in Delaware, some like drunk lunatic was like going crazy and like came at her and like 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 to hit her. And like Derek like stepped in and like knocked the guy out cold. And mm-hmm. like instead of and, like he turned around to her and like got on his knees and started singing Glory of Love to her. I'm the man who will fight for your honor. <laughs> so their first dance I at their their first dance at their wedding was uh this song. It was great. Aww. Yeah, it was really good. Uh it was covered by a bunch of bunch of bands. I, I love how that's what it takes for you to get sentimental. <laughs> Knock some drunk guy at it. Um, no, Peter Cetera. Oh, Peter Cetera, yeah. Uh, and I always remember that episode of uh, Jared's Room. You know that sketch that uh, Jimmy Fallon did on SNL? Oh, yeah. DJ Jonathan Feinstein plays a sample of Glory of Love for each walk-on character. Um, Karate Kid 2 soundtrack was the only music he had since he had to pack his dorm and move out of uh. his residence hall. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, Glory of Love, 80s through and through. You can't listen to the song and say, when was this made? And, you know, it, it screams 80s. Yeah. Uh, all right, here's Squeezer's next pick. Girl, you know, girl, you, how, how can, how can it be that this is coming up on 30 years already? Wow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, July 21st, 1989 on an MTV, uh, uh performance up in, uh, Connecticut. Um, see, I told you nothing good happens in Connecticut. Nothing. 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 Uh, other than that, your, your signs looked like they were made with paper mache scissors um, you ruined Millie Vanilli, and thanks to uh, uh, Jerry moving a show up there, marriages as well. Yeah, all those talk shows are up there now, right? Yeah, yeah, they made them all big tax breaks and shit, and they just bust people up from New York. It doesn't take that long, I guess. And they're like, hey, you get to go to Connecticut, you know? It's nice, I think. I've seen it. No. When we were driving through it two months ago, you were shitting on it pretty bad, right? Yeah, pretty bad. To the fact that people try to defend it, and I think even then there was tongue in cheek because I know they know they can't do it. Um, so Millie Vanilli was huge. Um, there a, a, a German, um, very attractive modeling group that happens to be very good singers. <clears throat> and uh uh Fab Moran also also Fra- Ravan, made an appearance on the Super Mario Brothers Super Show. They absolutely did. I believe that was 90, 90 or 91. It was after all this went down um because they even took like little shots at him there. They parodied themselves after the fact like uh on a, a chewing gum commercial cuz like they know they had to. 
Yeah, they'd sing, they'd, they'd sing fine and like very American. And then they'd talk about, ah, very many vanilla. That's when like red flags were raised. Um, now, to be fair, um, uh, who was it? Um, the Scorpions. The Scorpions, they're a German, you know, metal band. Listen to their interviews. They're thick accents. And then listen to the zoo. And you'd have no idea that these guys were European. It's very strange. I read an article uh, about why that happens. It's a thing. It was it's almost it was like ma- they're putting on their It was it was about British some British guys you can't tell their accents and their I mean not Oasis because you really can, but some British singers you can't tell their accents and their singing. Hmm. Well, I always find it funny that British actors can put on an American accent just fine, but when an American actor puts on a British accent, it always sounds like we're faking it. I'm talking to you, Madonna. Yes, but not the little guy Tyrion from uh, Game of Thrones. He P- does Peter Dinklage. Peter Dinklage. Yeah, he does a fucking phenomenal job. He's actually uh, that's a good point. Phenomenal actor. Like, um, wait, he's from like Newark or something. Yeah, he's he's American as they come. See, I told you you liked the show. I like him. Show's okay. okay. The show's better uh, than it was uh, the first season. No. First season, it was just an excuse to uh, 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 boobies. Do, yeah, make my old cheap. Well, <laughs> make my old cheap moves on uh, Enchantress, but she put it on to make. Oh, this is boring. Stretch my arm around her. Uh, no, that's when it was at its best. I love. We have two completely distinct. Uh, you like it now that, or you don't like it now, but you can stand no, no, that. I, yeah, they picked up the pace I like a bit. It, yeah. And me, I can't stand the fact that they're not taking enough time standing around talking right. and traveling real time. Right. It should be a real time procedural, uh, ancient whatever show. Not you were in a rowboat. How did you get there so fast? You should right. still be on that river. You know. Yeah. Drives you mad. Drives you just mad. Well, they made the trip up to north in the first episode, and they got there without even flying. They they sailed. Squeezer. They well, sailed they, and they were there right away. Well, n- they started in the end of last season. Oh, did they? They were on that boat for like a year and a half. Yeah. Um, anyway, Fab Morvan. <clears throat> am I saying that? Morvan, yes. And um, Rob Pilatus. Uh, they were two models. And then um, along comes um, Frank Farian. Uh, record producer, uh, owner of uh, what record label does he own? Uh, MCI. And um, so um, he had uh, these guys. This is very, um, what's the thing I'm looking for? Uh, packaged. Package. Groomed. Well, that was his, that's what that that was his thing. Like he would take. It, it was all about the visual. It was very like we talked about that '80s approach. He did it in the '70s as well. But you '80s, take, it's it goes on today. <laughs> well, fair enough. But this is when it like really blew up. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> yeah, today probably. Oh shit, yeah, probably even worse. Um, but th- and and this was like groundbreaking. Could, you can probably get away with this now. You know, because the news cycle would, you know, it would happen so fast. And people are like, eh, all right, I still like them. And then you go, yeah, but they're faking. It's like, 
Eh, who doesn't fake it now? You know, like there's no winning this argument anymore. Back here, uh, in by like ninety, it got really bad when I had to give it up. But it was in back in '89 when it started to fall apart, and it had to do with the accents. Uh, and then yeah, the 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 skip, and it was just really uncomfortable while they're just kind of dancing around. And um, how and did then, that uh, happen? Like, is there like there's conspiracy theories about that, right? I'm a yeah, I would assume so. I mean, there are conspiracy theories going back to that uh, Christmas uh, special on NBC with Mariah Carey saying that a certain audio engineer sabotaged her show. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He denies it. Was it our friend uh, Crossens? Yeah. Oh, should we say his name? <laughs> that's not his real name. Oh, okay. Yes. That's, that's what he was called at here. It's not his real name. Okay. Fair Did enough. she actually blame him? Was he the audio engineer? I just said that because yeah. I knew he worked it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That he was conspiring against her. Well, he is very bitchy, so I would <laughs> I wouldn't put it past him. Well, I mean, he, he earned it. I mean, I still love him, but I love him. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it all started to fall apart here. Now there is a silver lining in this, and that is you can pretty much trace back one of the greatest documentary shows of all time to this event and this band. Okay. And that is the 1997 debut of VH1's Behind the Music. Oh. Because it was, in the premiere episode, it was, this was the first one where they, uh, they and they split it, it was Millie Vanilli and MC Hammer. And they interviewed uh, Fab and Rob, and they talked about it. They went back and actually um, recut it to address uh, Rob's death later on. He actually, in 98, he died of, uh, uh, I guess, prescription painkillers and booze. Um, they did not have it easy after this. I mean, it was, I mean, you shoot the superstardom. You were the biggest thing in the world. And they and, were stripped of their Grammy <clears throat> coming up. What happened after they were stripped of their Grammy? Yeah. And then what? Oh, and then and then we moved on. And then OJ happened, and they were kind of like, oh, okay, cool. They recorded an album afterwards, right? They no, did with no their own voices. Yeah. And from what I hear, even critics were like, hey, this wasn't that bad. But at this point, like, the damage was done. Right, the fad was over. Yeah. Even if they never got caught lip-syncing, they probably wouldn't be popular at this point. It, it probably wouldn't have been too much longer. Right. You know, by then, like, New Kids was coming along. Right. Um, and then, yeah, and, then, you know, not that not that grunge took too much of that uh, um, genre away, but it, it definitely started taking over more on the scene, especially, you know, music videos and stuff like that, and... Um, Question: there, there was more and more competition. If that gaffe never happened, would we even know the truth today? Like people might say, "Oh, this person lip syncs, that person lip syncs." I know firsthand uh, tons of artists who maybe didn't lip sync on their album, but do live, just because of my job. But I can't say, but it happens. Oh One yeah, you see it. Very you, you high it. profile show. I could not believe um, it. And it, it's funny too, because like uh, the Macarena we... was definitely 
Um, if if they were never caught, would we even know that it it was ever a thing? If they were even if they weren't even if they weren't caught, would we even be talking about Millie Vanilli today? No, no, absolutely not, absolutely not. No, like it was, it was, these songs would have just kind of faded. Although you know, it is fun to sing "Blame It on the Rain" every time you're walking your car at you know seven thirty at night. Well, we work but, with the Wayne, uh, Dwayne, so we say "Blame It on the Wayne." Yeah, it's fun to blame people for things that they didn't do. Mm-hmm. But even when Ashley Simpson was like caught lip syncing on SNL, oh, and then she did her little hoedown dance. Yeah, I don't know why people act so outraged. Well, yeah, I don't like if Dave Grohl's not up there screaming his bloody murder on stage. Like you mm-hmm. safe to assume there's probably not lip syncing full on lip syncing, but there's backing tracks. Sure. And a good audio mixer can mix between when they decide to go live and when they want, want to just have backtracked. And then there's bands that perform and hold the microphones out into the crowd and you still hear their vocals as clear as day and no one gives a yeah. shit. And all, and the same thing like to, to her and to, especially the dancers. Like you look at like Britney Spears and Christina Aguilera and and those boy bands, you can't dance. I, I will reach and I, sing I, crystal clear. Uh uh-uh. uh. Lady Gaga at the Super Bowl. Remember her performance? She was like <gasps> taking huge deep uh, breaths in between every. I mean, she well, must have been in fantastic shape for no, that. That that that's what I'm saying. You her, she was taking com- big deep breaths. She but she was still when it's, belted out that fucking music. I and, but that's I'm not that's not what I'm saying. When it's when it's this tireless effort. When it when it sounds like the CD, and they're running around on stage and dancing. Clearly, like you, it can't. If if you want it to sound, and that's the thing, you want it. The, the audience wants it to sound flawless. I, that's I'm not always true. I, I, I'm insulting young preteen girls here. Yeah, they all. do. They do. But, yeah. But, you know, well, a part of the live experience is, is fucking up. Like Billie Eilish, uh, who's who's got some good songs, and she's an alternative young 17-year-old uh, during Coachella this past weekend, forgot her... Uh, some of the lyrics to her songs on stage and she just fucking went along with it and it was a great moment that people talked about in a good way but she's yeah. not lip syncing she just says oh shit I forget my lyrics it happens <laughs> I forget how to talk on this show sometimes yeah so do I um, but yeah good pick that's definitely 80s music uh I believe I'm not 100 percent sure I could look, but I, these guys might have had their songs released on this platform. Here come pocket rockers, tiny tapes, tiny players. Down on the corner, out in the streets, pocket rockers are playing where the music feels the beat. Pocket rockers, play them here, wear them anywhere. Tiny players, tiny tapes, pocket rockers, tapes and accessories sold separately, batteries not included from Fisher Price. So we've kind of talked about it, but not officially on the show before. Um, hmm. But uh, uh, 
Pocket Rockers by Fisher Price. Remember when I just all randomly remembered this on the show? Mm-hmm. So they were these little uh, boxes that were about maybe five and a half inches tall by... Um, they looked like a cassette box that held a cassette, but they were a little deeper. They were about three, two and a half to three inches deep. Uh, and they came... And there were these different colors and funky 80s designs. And they came with uh, little tiny cassette tapes that looked like miniature 8-track tapes. Um, mm-hmm. They were launched in the U.S. in 1988 and were pretty huge at first. But it was like it should have been a fad pick because it <laughs> fell apart right away. And that by 1991, they were discontinued. That's when I, my brother and I got ours at liquidation from like, Low, low prices at Kitty City. I remember, I, I vividly remember the table they were on where we found them and they're like five bucks. So my mom's like, go ahead, buy them. Um, it was our, at their, their height, there was about 50 different tapes available. And the ones we got came with, it was like a, a, a collector set and it came with five tapes. And I was trying to remember all the tapes. The one tape had the Ghostbusters theme on the other and uh, Hey, Hey, We're the Monkeys on the other side. So there was two songs on each tape. <laughs> it's so weird. I know. And I loved it. It was like my favorite tape ever. Each tape had two tracks and they recorded in mono. And they were shortened to fit on the tape because the maximum length the tapes could hold was three minutes. Once the song hit three minutes, it just faded out and started over again. Because uh, like an eight-track tape, it just loops from the center. Oh, and so, plays... was it... so it was like an eight-track or like a cart. It would just... Uh... Play endlessly, yeah. Exactly. Okay. So it like it would fade out at three minutes and then start again. And then there was a switch at the top where you could hit it and it'd go in reverse and play the, the other track on the tape. You know how tape I don't have to explain how tape works for you. Yeah, I yeah, I know how tape works. <laughs> um so uh if you buy the tapes by themselves it's sticky and both things again. Right. They came with a card that had some info. Oh, I can explain it to the people. There's there's two tracks on the tape and a cassette works like I know if you play it one way, it plays like one side, and you flip it and play the other other way, it plays the other side. Uh, but it, it, going one way, it plays one way, and going the other way, it plays another track. They're, they're placed side by side on the magnetic tape. Um, so these yeah, had, in, the, in this case, the heads roll the other way, whereas the reason why you would flip the tape in other cassette recorders is the heads would stay the same way. You're just reversing the tape. Right, exactly. Yes. Uh, so they came with a card that I kind of had... did that just to explain it to myself <laughs> they had, the card had some info about the band some trivia questions and some like album or artist artwork it's just like a little like 2 inch by 2 inch card uh, the, the cassette players themselves had a speaker built in and a belt clip because you were meant to wear this and all the tapes like they were like fashion pieces that you could like trade they had like little holders that you put the tapes in a bunch oh, of different okay. shit and gadgets um, and because they were mono, it came with a single ear headset because, you know, there's mono. You can hear it stereo anyway. Uh, and of course, mm-hmm. the switch at the top that you could switch between songs. And I was trying, like, how to remember the set I had. I know I had the uh, collector, the, the uh, what the fuck it was called, the Pocket Rockers collector set, which came with five tapes. And I think my five tapes. Like I said, were the monkeys. There was a Tiffany's one. I was going through these old lists of tapes that came out. I couldn't find them all. I, I know we had the Fat Boy, a Fat Boys one. Um, yeah, because Fat, Bo- Fat Boys were a thing in the 80s. 
and I think a Beach Boys one was on my thing. I know um, there was Bon Jovi. It didn't have him. Oh, you know what? I had one that was Tears for Fears. It had Shout on one side and Everybody Wants to Rule the World on the other side. Cool. That's a pretty good tape. Uh, I got to put together that. I got to find my exact collection and the exact collection I had. My brother had a different one and had like a few different tapes. But uh, we thought we walked around with these things like thinking we were the coolest fucking dickweeds in the planet. And because I went to Catholic school and I didn't know much about pop music, <laughs> this is the first time I was hearing like Tiffany or, or Tears for Fears or any of these bands. So it kind of did open a door. But the one I listened to the most was the one that was most familiar with to me, the Ghostbusters song and Hey Hey, We're the Monkeys. And people say we monkey around. I a huge monkeys fan to this day. I still, their songs are catchy. Uh, oh, but yeah. Yeah, that was Pocket Rockers. Look them up. They're pretty cool. Uh, all right. Uh, but we can move on to uh, Mr. Squeezer. Your next pick. What's this? I know the song, but. All right. So I could have picked a number of songs here. Okay. Uh, of their greatest works. I could have gone with Billie Jean, uh, Money for Nothing, uh, Aha, pretty much any Aha video, Summer of 69, uh, Def Leppard's Let's Get Rocked. What are you uh, talking about? A whole list of, of different songs I could have picked with. But in, I had to settle with Eddie Grant and Electric Avenue. D you don't know what they all have in common? I don't. They all are tied to one Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the film that was released in 1990. Oh, really? Because they were all directed by one Steve Barron. Ah. Yes. Yes, the man that brought you Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Coneheads, uh, and also the Merlin miniseries in 1998. Um, uh, he got his start and still to this day dips his toes into the uh, music video world. Uh, his, you, you've seen his stuff because you've seen these videos. So take on me, I mean – that goes without saying. I mean, it's... We covered that. that video if you go back in our music video show, I believe, we covered that in the archives, right? I think that's right. Yeah, uh, yeah I, we did, actually. Um, I mentioned he did a couple of Dire Straits songs. He did Money for Nothing. Again, like, that's as iconic as it gets for MTV. I mean... Yeah, that, that's on their regular and, rotation for top 100 videos. Yeah, of all time. Uh, and also did Calling Elvis and Heavy Fuel, which uh, not as good. Uh, he did stuff for Fleetwood Mac. Uh, uh, Human League, he did a very early on in uh, 1981. He did uh, the video for Don't You Want Me um, by Human League. Uh, he did Burning Up for Maj Madonna. He did some Joe Jackson. He did Billie Jean, like I said. 
Uh, he did the video for Natalie Cole and Nat King Cole uh, for Unforgettable. Oh, that merged. Um, but that was 1991, so that doesn't count. Yeah, but still. Pretty yeah. cool. Yeah. Um, he worked with Paul McCartney, uh, uh, Simple Minds, uh, Sticks, Super Tramp, and he even did um, one of my – still creeps me out to this day and ruined swimming pools for me. And is one of the reasons why I'm I'm such a scaredy cat as a kid, um, but Tears for Fears, Pale Shelter, um, <clears throat> that's the video where there's a girl uh, diving into a pool. Meanwhile, there's an alligator um, slipping into the pool, and the whole time like building up to the alligator attacking her, and then it moves on to them directing airplanes at an airport. Um, but then it ends with her dump jumping off the diving board, and it cuts just as the alligator is about to swallow her whole. Huh. Yeah. Oh, it's awesome. That's scary. Uh, and and also, uh, also uh, the uh, video for uh, Toto for Africa. Ah. The song well. recently had a yeah, resurgence so... because of Weezer covering it. <laughs> oh, maybe. Yeah. I know it did. Hundred percent. I don't know if he but, gets yeah, anything I just from that, the, but... Sorry, if he gets... Oh, I don't know. People might um, look it up, you know. Yeah, I, I just wanted to bring up uh, Steve Barron's name because he's just... It's one of those things, like, you, you know you know all these videos. And even if you're a fan of, like, you know, Ninja Turtles and Coneheads, you know, you don't think Steve Barron, the director of, you know, Ninja Turtles and Coneheads, unfortunately, you know, it's just, it's one of those things, you know, some directors, you know, and some you don't, um, strangely, he has like just his, you know, his I catalog is am insane. a fan of both of those movies, like a huge fan of Ninja Turtles. And I love the Coneheads movie. <laughs> Chris Farley's great. And I mean, I want to, and as far as an action movie goes, away. Right. Eh, eh, get away! It, I, I, ironically, he, uh, he did not work with Soft Cell. No, but he definitely made their song no. pretty iconic in my mind. Well, I mean, it was iconic to me. Not to me. Not to me. Not I to guess, young I Ryan. Guess in the, in, I guess in the same way that, um, "Come On Eileen" is iconic to me because it was in Tommy Boy, uh, twenty like fifteen years later. After it came out. Well, I mean, a, a lot of people say Bohemian Rhapsody wouldn't be famous if it wasn't in Wayne's World. I totally believe that. I don't not disagree. <laughs> I don't not disagree. I, wait. I, I don't think yeah, there's something you, know, you agree you or disagree negative with. and trick people up. I don't uh, it's, think it's fact. Yeah, that, no, no it, it's some, some things, it's not a negative on the song then take credit away no, from it's it. No, gr- it's a good song, it but it gives became it... popular because of its place in pop culture in that moment, in that time. And, um, like, a lot of people never really now, heard that now, song before. But after that, it's... Yeah. And it lives on longer now being tied to something else. Those two things go hand in hand now, and it, you know, gets a second life. Right. Who knows what song Queen... They would have picked a headline Queen's movie, but Bohemian Rhapsody, because... You know, it became so popular in the '90s and had it gave Queen kind of a little resurgence. Same thing with gun racks. I don't own a gun, let alone multiple guns that constitute the need for a gun rack. I'm not. 
I well, I don't, but um, that's a quote from the movie. Hi, Wayne. Mm-hmm. I, I'm I'm aware. I'm... Oh, cool, a gun rack. <laughs> <laughs> I don't own a gun. Such a great. I'll, if you don't stop me, I'll keep quoting Wayne's World randomly. No, I'm just gonna let you. No, not not even at random. Just just the same gun rack, gun rack. I'll do it over and over. Uh, my favorite part in that movie is when Garth orders the blue drink, that big fucking thing. Ah, uh, speaking of Rob Lowe. That's the love theme from St. Elmo's Fire, the movie that got Rob Lowe nominated for a Razzie for worst, I think, new actor. I don't believe that. Only would they realize... He was in plenty of shitty movies. Tommy Boy, too. He was not Tommy Boy. Brothers don't shake hands. Brothers gotta hug. Uh, When you're that handsome. He plays the greatest dick on the planet. He also plays, uh, my favorite role of his is Chris Traeger <laughs> from uh, Parks and Rec. Yeah. He's yeah, he's not, fantastic. He's super nice. He's also he's on the, the West opposite, Wing. He's the opposite of a dick in that, that, uh, that yes. role. He was, also, he was also in Atomic Train, the NBC made-for-TV movie. Yes, about uh, an atomic train. What do we talk about that? Atomic on? train barreling out of control and about to collide with a small town in western Pennsylvania. For some reason, Which we realized it probably would have been easier just to let the damn train blow up. It's not going to damage anything. For some reason, oh no, it's going to uh, ruin right. industry. Okay, you're derailing not just the atomic train, but my pick here, it's Mr. Squeezer. Sorry, sorry, sorry. For some reason, <laughs> for some reason, as a kid, I thought this was the same theme, love theme used in every movie, and I don't know if it is used in any other movie, and I have no way to find that out, but. I think it was used in everyone's I like. Think you were right. I think it was used in everyone's like wedding video, and it sounds like every, um, <laughs> every like, uh, like love theme from that time, and they probably used it in like Hot Shots, like as a joke, and that's like the only other movie oh, I, I could see. would have seen with like a love theme. But uh, David Foster who co-wrote Glory of Love, <clears throat> produced and wrote this song, and it actually came out in his solo album. David Foster has a long history of music. He's worked with such artists as... Um, oh, hold on, I have my list here. So, he, uh, George Harrison, he worked with uh, Earth, Wind & Fire, Chicago, and later Peter Cetera. Boz Skaggs. <clears throat> um, I like Boz Skaggs. Yeah. Uh, Rolling Stone named Foster the master of bombastic pop quiche. 
basically he kind of designed the sound of the 80s music uh it, this this song the instrumental love theme from saint elmo's fire hit number 15 on u.s pop charts and it's damn yeah it's an instrumental so that's another reason yeah. why i probably thought like before even seeing this movie i heard that song everywhere uh the most famous song uh man in motion from the movie you know, it's called saint elmo's fire uh, which reached mm-hmm. number one on the Billboard 100 was also written and produced by David Foster. He would uh, score films, uh, Secret of My Success, uh, little film with Michael J. Fox in it. Um, he co-wrote and produced Tears Are Not Enough, which reached top 15 status. He uh, he did the theme song for the 1988 Winter Olympics in Calgary, Alberta, the song was called Winter Games. <clears throat> uh, it's now the soundtrack. I'm sure if I, I'm trying. It's now Sorry, the, hold on, I can pull it up. It's now the soundtrack for the Fountain Show at the Bellagio in Las Vegas. I'm sure if I heard, I'm like, oh yeah, that's that. Yeah, everyone's going to know this as soon as I Because they always rehash those, they always rehash those Olympic themes for stuff. Yeah, they, they figure out, hold on, there's a commercial playing. I'm Actually, because I have to use Firefox to pull these ads, then okay, here we go. This is Winter Games, written and produced, performed by David Foster, 1988, Winter Olympics. Oh, yeah, I Yeah, we're here at the 1988 Winter Olympics in Calgary, Alberta, Canada, and all the Olympians from around the world are getting ready to showcase their greatest skills and the ice, the snow, and indoors here on NBC. Now, thank you. You've watched a lot <laughs> of TV. <Yeah. laughs> yes, I have. But doesn't this kind Did of sound? Did NBC have the contract back then? Uh, you have to just I, say on NBC. I would, yeah. It, it, it doesn't matter. That'd be easy. But doesn't it sound so 80s, like every other 80s thing? Like, is this the uh, opening to ALF? But no, it's not. It's Yes. But it is, and it isn't. Right. It is, it isn't. But it's glorious. Is this a, is this the score to uh, Short Circuit 2? No. <laughs> but it sounds it, just like it. Sadly... Sadly, now it's something that if you and I had to put something together real quick and you didn't have like you we just need to pull something out of the free music catalog. This is like fun piano tune number four. Winter piano tune. Yeah, winter games. I'm pretty sure tune. I use I use something I use something similar to this in college, I know it. Oh, I'm sure, yeah. Now we have better music libraries, but those old Apple tracks and Manhattan libraries. You would have pulled down. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, uh, when you when you would go through is literally a three ring binder. Right. And right. you're just judging by like. Oh. Yeah. This says it's poppy and piano laden. Poppy piano laden. Yes. <laughs> Perfect for this ice hockey recap. Um. So yeah, he's still doing stuff now. He married. Um, 
Catherine McVie, I believe, from I have it written or where the fucking is it? Uh, yeah, Catherine McVie of American Idol fame became engaged to her. He didn't marry her in June two thousand eighteen. Uh, Who's that? David Foster. Oh, is she like a host on the show? I know no, that. She, I only know her from her Howard own. Stern because uh, Eric the Midget wanted to meet her and they wanted to fly uh, Eric with balloons. <laughs> she, um, I think she was an actress and stuff too. I don't know really. Wait, wait. So what, was she on the show? Uh, yes, she was on the show. And um, I don't know. I'm looking at her picture. She's very attractive, younger. She's 35. She's around our age. Um, and David Foster's like a thousand. Oh, yeah, he's hey, hey, yeah. hey, hey, Catherine. Yeah, we're the same age. Yeah, right. And uh, uh, she's not sure yeah. he's highly successful. And I don't have an Olympic theme to my name right. yet. <laughs> yet, but. Yeah. Uh, his sister, producer James Foster, is mother of Clay Aiken's son, Parker Foster. He's really tied to American Idol for some reason. I'm just reading random facts about him. Hmm. In 1992, Foster was driving his Chevy Suburban on the Pacific Coast Highway when he struck actor-dancer Ben Viren, who was walking along the highway near his Malibu home. He's all right. Guy survived. That sounds like a bad idea. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh. This is call an Uber, buddy. Yeah, well, I don't think they had Uber in '92 yet. You know, you got you had to call an yeah, Uber. Don't blame on me. Your, your giant, uh, giant uh, tele- cellular telephone. You know, so yeah, that's um, that's Dave Foster and uh, the love theme from. Not only the love theme from Saint Elmo's, Saint Elmo's Fire, but. The Winter Olympic theme song. <laughs> for uh, I feel like that also. What did I tell you today? That I I felt like that was the song that's in You Got Mail. Right. They had the you the, know the I watched sound, a bunch the, of those too. Like all those romantic. It, you know that was rehashed in all the romantic whoa, comedy whoa, whoa, trailers whoa, 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 and teasers whoa, 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 whoa. in the last stop, like, thirty years. Stop the clock. David Foster <laughs> also was involved in more Olympics. In 2001, Foster collaborated collaborated with Laura Fabian and the Vancouver Symphony Orchestra to record English-language, French-language, and bilingual versions of the Canadian National Anthem for promotion of the Canadian government. Foster and his then-wife Thompson composed Light the Fire Within, sung by Leanne Rimes for the 2002 Winter Olympics. He had two fucking Olympic songs. So he translated the Canadian National Anthem into English? Hold on. He had three. Foster, along with Kenneth Babyface Edmonds, composed The Power of a Dream, the official song of the 1996 Summer Olympic Squeezer. You're never going to get with Catherine McPhee. He he doesn't have one Olympic theme to his credit. He has three, at least. And there could be more that I'm just not finding. I'm also only 35, so I got plenty of time to catch up. Right, you have 34 years to write three Olympic theme songs. You know, and then maybe Catherine. And I got, and I, I have an in at NBC, so we'll see what happens. I have an NBC Sportsnet hat. Oh, that's true. You do have that hat. Yes, it was swag. (laughs) I use it for painting. (laughs) It's a good Uh, painting hat. What, what were we doing that? Because was that in hockey? 
No, I don't know what it was for. Because I don't even think I was supposed to get one. I just took one. I didn't take. I didn't. I passed on them, but I can't remember what we were doing. Well, no, you pass on free food, so you're definitely gonna pass on a free hat. It was purple, right? No, this one's gray. What the heck was it? What were we doing? Now I can't remember that that show. I I don't know. All I know, I remember painting with it. That's about it. Yeah, probably. <laughs> Uh, all right. Here is Mr. Squeezer's next pick. The usual, sir. Please. Even after 500 plays, our high fidelity tape still delivers high fidelity. <laughs> It's worth it. Uh, I remember, and they still use this for their logo, right? I think so. Yeah, kids it, I mean, it's an iconic image of him, like in his chair with the flight glasses on, or whatever. Um, I'm not talking uh, cassette tapes in particular. Uh, we we could, you know, reminisce all we want about that, and I'm sure there's people out there that you know all the logistics and science and all that stuff about cassette tapes and so on but who just talks about the cassette tape cases that's where the radgers podcast comes in folks if you're looking for my there... you can find it here <laughs> uh just the randomness of this just popped into my head i'm so i'm doing research for the show just thinking of random stuff and going through old pictures and songs and doing research and digging deeper and in my head like, I picture the cassette tape. But then immediately, like, I remember, like, the feel and the squeak of the cassette tape case. Like, that, 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 uh, Norelco style, um, poly, it's a polystyrene case. Same things like your jewel case, like CD jewel cases are made right, of. Right. But there's something of the consistency of the plastic. Right. And the way it just works together, where you get that squeak as you open it. There's that thin, like, soulless clankiness that kind of comes with it. Right, that at it, any it, minute like, it could break and slit your wrist. Because it, yes. it, it seems like it's yeah, fragile. Yeah, it's very fragile plastic. Yeah. And would uh, be as sharp like as glass. It makes that scrapey, scratchy kind of sound on, on the softest material on the planet. And there, there's just something... I was thinking about this, like in my head, and I I could hear it like vividly. And I'm sure if you're listening to this, most of you can too. But and then it occurred to me, it's like that's a kind of experience. Not that it's even a, a positive, or it's like, oh wow, this really takes me back. But it's one of those things like isn't gonna exist anymore. Right. And it's not like oh, I'm not gonna be all curmudgeon well, about it. It's like I want back can my I, cassette tape so can I, I can hear them you? squeak. With a little thing you might not know. So you What's know that? how uh, vinyl came out and is a resurgence, and you could buy. I, I it. know, I know they're. Yeah, com- I know they're coming back. They're selling cassettes look, like crazy. You go on Urban Outfitters, you can find <laughs> most of the modern pop albums on cassette. Yeah, and in about six months, they're all going to be in a dumpster because no one's going to want to have to deal right, with them. Right, because unlike vinyl, they don't sound any better. They sound like shit. It's just a niche thing. Yes. Yeah, it's it's a gimmick. You're buying, you're buying nostalgia now, which 
keep doing, folks. Yeah, right. Keep enjoying it and listening. Uh, right. Buy uh, the Radius Podcast Fabric Softener to make your clothes smell like nostalgia. Should. And we should find the most oddball thing that we could softener. do to sell. I don't. I don't think fabric soft. That's heavy. Like that's shipping costs. No, the, the dryer sheets. I meant. Oh. Yeah, but I can't use those with my kids' clothes, and then I get like the thing on them, and she has sensitive skin. So, um, all kids do. Yeah, well, you don't have to use our product. We're selling it, Squeeze. We're not using it. We're not the fucking oh, okay. president well, of the hair club for men. We're also not a client. God, they beat me too. Yeah, but if we did buy dryer sheets to sell en masse, I would be using them because, and I'd have a whole collection of dryer sheets at bulk rates. And we'd have <laughs> nothing to sell and give away because I'd be using them all. Well, we wouldn't sell any anyway, so we'd have to use them. So. <laughs> oh, wow, honey. Our official Radier's dryer sheets came in. They smell like arcane squeezer. It's clothing. Oof. In fact, when you pull the sticker off, it just says bounce on it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all right. Well, don't peel uh, the sticker off and ruin the illusion. Jesus. Yeah, yes. Use your illusion. Yeah. Uh, that was 91. Um, but yeah, it just, I don't know. I just wanted to go come out here and just remind people of... It's not something the average person re- you you reminisce on all kinds of stuff, mm-hmm. but the last thing you reminisce about is just a cassette tape case, uh, and yes. there was just a a certain thing to it. Like again, the squeakiness of that hinge, the J cards falling out all the time. Yep. Um, or writing your own, like on your mixtapes, and oh, then you write hell, your own J card yeah. and slide it in there. Yeah. Uh, thanks for letting us all know the lingo for that slip of paper or cardboard in the thing. I didn't realize it was called J. It took me a while to figure out what that. Yeah, it took me a while to figure out what the hell it was called. But now you're I using it to death, like tape insert. Like you're an insider. Oh, the J card. <laughs> oh you, yeah, you got the J card. Are you gonna fill out your J card, hey, the, you your J loser? Oh, I'm gonna be such a dick about it now too. Oh wow, yeah. Did you see the cool artwork on that insert for the cassette tape? case like you mean the j card i'm just gonna hang outside a um <laughs> where'd you say they where do they sell these at spencer's uh, urban outfitters where urban outfitters. urban outfit i'm just gonna hang outside urban outfitters and like hey it's a pretty sweet j card like, and then and then security will come <laughs> on their segways and ask me to leave politely excuse me sir you're politely. gonna have to leave no one wants to know your opinions about the j cards anymore yeah, but that band, um, uh, that band, uh, I don't know, what's, uh, uh, who's a band that I don't even fucking, tra- that band, the band, tra- that band, Travis Scott, he has a good J card on his latest album, uh, and I, I, I the, J- the bit died in the water, I, I'm sorry. That's fine, you know, it, it's better to die in the water, um, then in no, the, it's not. It sounds like horrific. Then in no. then outside of the Urban Outfitters trying to upstage then people about their J card. It, 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 although it could be in the water. It could be in a fountain. That bit died in a fountain outside an Urban Outfitters with uh, a, with three seriously creeped out 11-year-old girls buying cassette tapes um, oh. to have for a cassette player they don't own. 
a mint on card Virgil action figure for $41. Bid ends do it. 21 do hours. It. No, I can't. It's like I can't touch the bid until it's over. It's at 41 now. I'll keep if I can get it for under 60. All right, just throw 60. It goes 65 since you already just said it on the show. Yeah, but someone will bid 65 and like three cents at like the last hour. Then then go 90. Ooh, a Jim the Anvil on the card for 1850. I'm going to watch this guy. $90 for a virginal action figure. And then you can spend another $90 to have him autograph it for you. And then spend another $90 taking a picture of him autographing it with you. And then spend another $90 to get him to leave my house. (laughs) Here's, (laughs) Here's money for an Uber. You could borrow my cell phone to call it. Virgil. I would buy a burner. Here's fifty yeah, here's fifty bucks for Olive Garden. Get the meat sauce. Oh. I'm down. I'll go to Olive Garden with Virgil. That's a hell of a story. Well, you know, he's not gonna share the free salad and breadsticks, I could tell you that much. I was disappointed when I'm told that the Olive Garden by us is the only one that has wheels on their chairs. I like to think otherwise. Uh, Virgil, the real Virgil, if you go on his uh, Twitter, he loves to tweet about Olive Garden when people ask, like when TMZ catches him. He says, I'm a black Italian, Olive Garden, I'm coming for you. (laughs) Olive Garden is still dishing out free breadsticks. What a time to be alive. That was uh, a tweet he put on May 2018. Uh, so yeah, Vir- the Virgil. Hey, you know what? We all have our pleasures. Virgil loves himself <laughs> some Olive Garden. Dying. No, don't do I'm that. I'm dying in a fountain out front of an Urban Outfitters. I'm sorry, folks. I'm doing my best. Uh, um, you take it from here. When are they gonna induct <clears throat> Virgil into the Hall of Fame? My opinion. Are you kidding me? He would never leave. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> they let him he would back. actually show up like, all right, like where, where is the physical Hall of Fame that I can visit? And then he, right. he'd be like the, the Biff Tannen statue outside the, the casino. Right. They let him in and yeah, he's not. He's never leaving again. Oh, all right. Um, here's my next pick. It's a good one. It's going to wake us up here. In my opinion, Squeezer, if you're gonna yes, sir. if you're gonna train for the fight of your life on the streets of Philadelphia, there is no mm-hmm. better song to do it to than Survivor's "Eye of the Tiger." Oh, absolutely not. So uh, let me take you back. We talked Rocky Four and the possibility of of it being in a. Uh, at the end of of the of the, of the uh, I'm, I'm fucking up my my train of thought, the, Peter Cetera's song was going to be at the end of Rocky Four. Mm-hmm. 
Sylvester Stallone requested uh, this song for Rocky Three from the band uh, Survivor. Uh, Queen denied him permission to use another one, Bites of Dust, uh, which he was going to Stallone was going to use as the Rocky Three theme. Um, but uh, mm. that doesn't have the same energy to it. No, not at all. Um, but uh, in the movie, it's actually a demo version of the song that contains Tiger Growls. Didn't make it into the album. Ah, Yeah. Uh, so after this movie came out, it was like a huge play on MTV and radios, and it topped charts in 82 and held the number one status on the Billboard 100 for six consecutive weeks. Uh, number two oh. single of 82 behind Olivia Newton-John's Physical and spent 15 consecutive weeks in the top 10. The second longest run of 1982 behind Hurt So Good by John Cougar Mellencamp. Pretty big song. Only song this mm-hmm. band really has that I know of. Uh, but it's always going to be synonymous with Rocky and the Rocky movies. Yeah, the funny thing is too though, like people think like it's Rocky. Like this was Rocky three. Yeah, running on the beach with um, yeah. Apollo Creed, getting ready for your fight. Yeah. Uh, I, and now how Survivor makes itself in the news, they sue people using the song for their campaign music. <laughs> oh really? Yeah. In 2012, they survived Republican presidential candidate Newt Gingrich. An Illinois federal court for using Eye of the Tiger without authorization as entrance music for his political rallies. Um, they also uh, sued Mitt Romney and, um, and then later would sue uh, Mark, Mike Huckabee. So I'm assuming... Um, I'm assuming... Wow, at that, why isn't the Republican party just buy the rights to eye the tiger right they yeah like it right so much. Yeah. it's like oh man these are all the republicans and then, and then you have a, a source of income yeah and then you can just like michael jackson bought the publishing rights to the beatles he should have done the same they should have done the same to eye of the tiger and then uh any like future rocky training sequences you know gotta pay the republican party for the rights to eye of a tiger uh great song though and very 80s in my mind um it exemplifies oh, all my picks scream in my mind 80s to me and um mm-hmm. can't be placed in any other genre but uh 80s and this is early 80s but it's still very 80s it has, it's got some some 70s dust left over on it that makes it like pop but it's it's very much an 80s 80s song and that's my mm-hmm. fourth pick and i think we're on to your last pick squeeze oh yes uh, I, I had I had fun researching this one. I bet I bet you took your research up to eleven. <laughs> it's pretty. Yeah, I like it. Just been fooling about with it for a few months now. So delicate. It's a, it's a bit of a departure from the kind of thing you normally play. Yeah, well, it's part of a uh, a trilogy, really, a musical trilogy that I'm doing in D minor, which I always find is really the saddest of all keys, really. I don't know why, but it makes people weep instantly to play a... 
It's a home bar. It's very pretty. These are pretty yeah, good Americans doing lines, English voices. You know, very much like I'm really influenced by Mozart and Bach, and it's sort of in between those. Really, it's like a Mach piece, really. It's, what do you call this? Well, this piece is called uh, Lick My Love Pump. <laughs> Lick My Love Pump. <laughs> I'm off. They, they did really knock it out with the accents yeah. in this. I got to give it to them. Maybe it's because it was forgiven right. you know, as a comedy. Maybe. I, I, God, all right. So I haven't watched Spinal Tap in maybe 15 years. It's been a while. And then I'm like, oh, well, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to watch it. So I watched it last night for the first time in a while. And I, I just I was losing it. It's it movie. holds up so well. It's so good. It, it, it One of the funniest films ever made. It's brilliant. It's so dry, but yet so over the top. And 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 the gross it adds the gross out stuff to it too. The Harry Shear walking through the metal detector and pulling out a zucchini out of his pants wrapped in aluminum foil. <laughs> Immediately following this scene, um, it, it was there were so many things I want. I'm like, oh, I'm gonna pull this. I'm gonna pull this. And I I just it was really hard for me to actually pull a clip um, uh, that could work. Originally, I was just going to pull Big Bottom because that's, that's my favorite song out of the whole movie. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Stonehenge is great, but it's also very much a visual as well. Um, so, yeah, Spinal Tap, it, it's a, a mockumentary. Uh, uh, I don't even know how many of these came before this. Like how how many like mock documentaries existed prior to, you know, Spinal Tap, like in in this sense, and and also the to go along with the well, same this style group, that, I mean, uh, Christopher, Christopher Guest kind of invented the mockumentary, like, yeah, like like put, put and his the way he em, he em, what he employs to this day, like what they started with, like they had an outline. They had an outline with what they were gonna go with, and and it was him, Michael McKeon. Harry Shear and Rob Reiner, and they made some plot points, and they just went and shot some stuff, made like a, a short little demo, and then shopped that around, and then uh, they sold the rights to it, and then or they they you know got backing for it, and even then they were like they weren't sure what they were supposed to do, like was were they supposed to write a script or or what? So instead, they just kept going with what they were doing, and a lot of it was just on the fly, and you, the the spontaneity, and oh god, it's just it's so good. Really funny, very. I I uh, the kickstart to a genre <laughs> and a, a long line of of movies. I think peaked with uh, uh, Best in Show. Mm-hmm. I think that was their most, like, besides Spinal Tap, obviously, Best in Show is their, oh, sure, one of the most popular in uh, a while. And, 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 and watching it, I realized, like, I fall into, like, I, I know this movie is a response to other uh, rock docs that existed before it, especially throughout the 70s. There were a lot of, like, Song Remains the Same and stuff. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and, and it's parodying a lot of that. But I, I almost feel like more documentaries and rock documentaries and sports documentaries are actually influenced by the way Spinal Tap is made. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Then, and, and then actual documentaries. And I'm watching it, and I'm, I'm laughing. At the same time, I'm, 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 like, curling up on the couch, like, hiding my face because I've done some of these exact same things, like, that, that are parodied in the movie to be funny. Like, look at this, like... This ridiculous way in which you would make a film, and yet I still do that and fall into that trap. Mm-hmm. And uh, and and at the same time, I'm like, oh, it's Rob Reiner. He needs a genius. So I'll... even if I'm even if I'm being inspired by him when he's mocking me from the past, at the same time, I I, th- I think I got to live with that. Hundred percent. Uh, we all have to live with not being Christopher Guest and or oh, or and I also completely forgot Guffman. it was a very young Fran Drescher was in it. Yeah, yeah, she was one of the record execs who was um, disgusted by the um, album cover for <laughs> "Smell the Glove." <laughs> Smell the glove. There's so much great stuff, and and then also just the visuals. Uh, Harry Shearer getting trapped. In in the pod, all while playing, and them trying to keep straight faces, right? And then also, and then just the subtle stuff, like like you said, the turn up to eleven. Mm-hmm. No, but and uh, it, these were made specifically Reiner, for me. Why, why, rather than make it eleven and then louder, why not just make ten louder? Well, these go to eleven. It's just. There's so much subtlety in it. The 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 simplest little line that like I never I don't think I even got it up until now because like I said it was 15 years ago when I last saw it and I'm I wasn't the brightest kid when I was in college either. But um, when they originally formed their first band and then they were the Originals, <laughs> and there was another band already called the Originals, so they called themselves the New Originals, and. Last night I lost it because it was like the first time I actually got it. And so it's a mix of everything from just subtleness to visual cues to zucchinis wrapped in aluminum foil. Um, It's, oh God, it's perfect. Go just do yourself a favor and go watch Spinal Tap. It's a great movie, uh yeah. Very fun. One of the funniest ones of the eighties and of, and and, and general. what blows my mind the songs, the songs are fantastic. As ridiculous as they are, they're really good, ridiculous songs. Yeah, they, uh, and they also made an appearance on The Simpsons in ninety two, I believe. They did. Oi. Yeah. Cool. Great pick. Very 80s. Very 80s music. Um, let's wrap it up with uh, a classic. And I'm going to let this play a bit so the whole front end gets in it because it's just great. Yo, homeboy. Where you been, man? We've been looking for you. 
Yeah, we ain't seen you around Burger World lately. So where you been, huh? Oh, you know, around. Want a piece of pizza? Think I got an extra piece around here somewhere. No, that's okay, thanks. Yo, ding dong, man. Ding dong. Ding dong, yo. No, thanks, really. Yo, eat this, man. It's good for you. I'm not really very hungry right now. Hey, man, what it is with you? You on some kind of diet? Is that what they teach in that little sissy school of yours? Back off me, man. Back off. The question is, are you fat or what? Leave me alone. I said, are you fat? Get off me, man. Stop it. You ain't down with us no more. You ain't fat. You ain't fat. You ain't fat. You ain't nothing. You ain't nothing. One of the greatest, in my opinion, Weird Al parodies of all time. <laughs> Fat. A parody of Bad. As a kid, this was my favorite. Just because the music video, he, just, he goes from the skinny guy and he just turns this big bastard. Uh, and when he does this mm-hmm. live, he wears this whole suit on stage. It's hysterical. Uh, so I'm talking about the comedic genius of Weird Al Yankovic. Uh, who really came to the forefront in the 1980s. He started uh, on the Dr. Demento show, um, but uh, kind of became an on-tour act in 81 and started parodying songs like I Love Rocky Road. Uh, (coughs) Rick Derringer produced that, who is famous for doing uh, I'm a Real American for Hulk Hogan. And (laughs) here comes the axe, here comes the smasher, the demolition song. Uh, he did um, Eat It, a parody of Michael Jackson's Beat It, Fat, obviously, instead of Bad. Um, he had a movie called UHF, well, which is hysterical, in 89. Uh, he was the opening act for the Monkees in the mid-87, which would be a dream show for me. He um, says he loved touring with the Monkees, but the promoter like ripped him off a bunch of money, but he, he didn't care. He moved on. Nice guy. Um, smart guy and only performs songs if or does parodies if he gets uh, permission from the artist. Uh, he's still making shit today. He's doing um, White Nerdy was huge, and then because uh, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm tacky instead of I'm happy, and uh, yeah, he's still putting out music videos and um, uh, parodies instead of Born This Way, he does Perform This Way. Uh, from Lady Gaga, which is it's funny. I've, I've done his show, video for his show, a handful of times, and he has all the costume changes, and he does a lot of video elements in his show. We run like all of these clips from UHF and his his uh, vi- videos and shows and stuff, uh, new stuff he made. And he paid for an auction, I think. I don't know the exact number, but big money uh, to see episode one before it came out just so he knew he was uh, uh, 
pretty close with this song, The Saga Begins, which is a Star Wars song set to um, American Pie. It's a great song. Uh, mm-hmm. Dave Grohl and Nirvana um, said they felt that they made it after Yankovic recorded Smells Like Teen, uh, Smells Like Nirvana, a parody of uh, Smells Like Teen Spirit. Dave Grohl went on to mm-hmm. front of a little band that you might have heard of called the Foo Fighters, tiny little band. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, everyone loves Dave Grohl and uh, I'm not Dave Grohl. Everyone loves Dave Grohl, but everyone loves well, Weird Al Yankovic. <laughs> he's uh, very much 80. It's still like, even though he still has songs and he was alive in the 90s, like every time I think Weird Al, I think of the 80s. I don't know if you're the same way. Um, yeah, yeah, I would say most of those. Um, I I do for some reason though, I always go back to uh, Amish Paradise and that really uncomfortable moment during was it the MTV Music Awards. Where he got called out for it. I d- don't remember. I guess I guess uh, Coolio didn't take too fondly of it. Oh, but he gave him permission. So I guess okay. there was some there was a whole thing. No, there was some miscommunication there. I guess one of uh, Yankovic's most controversial parodies was in 1996's Amish Paradise, based on Gangsta's Paradise by hip hop artist Coolio, which in turn was based on Pastime Paradise by Stevie Wonder. Reportedly, reportedly Coolio's label. Gave Yankovic the impression that Coolio was granted permission to record the parody, but Coolio maintains that he never did. What Coolio claimed he was upset, legal action never materialized, and Coolio, of course, accepted royalty payments for the song. After the controversy, Yankovic has always made sure to speak directly with the artist uh, of every song he parodied. Uh, and in 2006, at the Consumer Electronics Show in the XM radio booth, they made peace. Oh, that's nice. Yes, he was invited. Yeah, I just I re- I remember I remember watching that live. I'm like, ooh, this is awkward. So, uh, in a 2014 interview, Coolio said, uh, "I was being cocky and shit and being stupid. And I was wrong. I should have embraced that shit and went with it." Uh, he considered the parody actually funny as shit. These are all quotes. He said uh, he was dumb for not. Um, he was dumb for not embracing it. And that's like, what you well, got to do, you got to embrace that. Well, yeah. Weird Al's been in Simpsons. He's been in, um, I think, uh, Scooby-Doo. <laughs> and uh, I don't know. He's he's just an all-around all likable guy who mm-hmm. uh, we grew up with in the 80s and is still going today, so... Good job, Weird Al. Keep it going. That was fun, 80s music. That was like the one yeah. I was like least looking forward to when I first came up with them. Like, ah, we should just kill this. And it turned out to be a lot of fun. I actually enjoyed going through and picking my stuff. It was, yeah. It took me down some fond memory lanes. Yeah. We have next week, we're continuing 80s month with 80s movies. And I already have a, a nice long list I shared with you, and I'm really excited to dive into them. And then the following week, 80s junk food. And then we move into May, and we'll never talk about the 80s again. Wouldn't it be May, but... 
Well, I mean, uh, we just got to get out that last week. Yeah. yeah well, I mean, it might come out, man. I mean, well, you just made it up, so there's no rule. Yeah, there's no rule. And we, of course, we'll talk 80s. That's what we talk about all the damn time. We just decided to just talk 80s shit yeah. in this month. Uh, but yeah, fun, fun show and a fun month so far. Talking 80s. I made it through. Oh, he's dying, people. So I'm going to sign off. I'm RK. I'm Squeezer. He barely could say who he is. Uh, we'll talk to you next week on the Radios podcast. We'll see you.